2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's going to be our text. And I, I was, I'm going to give a, what was it? Oh, Miss Denoff, what was it that you said? Or was it a seed thought? That's it. I don't know. If, I've never heard that before. But a seed thought is a pithy sermon. I don't know if you know what that is. A pithy is short. All right. We're going to go with a short stick sermon. Because uh, I know you guys might be tired. No, I'm not going to. It won't be long. But I do want to share something with you that's on my heart. It's, it dovetails perfectly with what Pastor um, Tony is in the middle of. In his series, he just started a series last week uh, about basically following Jesus or following Christ. And this Sunday morning, he preached on the idea of uh, being fishers of men. Some of you served during the worship hour, so I'm going to do a real, real quick synopsis of what that is, what he was talking about. He had three main points. The first thing he mentioned was that uh, there's a message. When you're talking about being a fisher of men, we've got to have a message that we cling to, which we know is the gospel. Um, for instance, every, there's a lot of people that we encounter throughout the day that are broken. They have a lot of uh, chaos in their life, and stemming back all the way back from the rebellion and, and back in the Garden of Eden. And, and the truth of the matter is they're broken. They don't even know why they're broken. They don't know why there's so many problems in their lives, but we see these people every day. And they need the good news that Jesus Christ can remedy their situation. He can, you know, help them and restore their life. They need the gospel. So that's the message that these fisher of men, that as a church, we need to be sharing the gospel in that, in, that, in that way. And the second thing he mentioned was that there was a method that they used. Now, he had this boat up back here that basically, which that's funny that that pipe thing is still sitting back there. Anyway, um, but <laughs> it's my fault. Uh, but the idea was, he said, everybody, we, back in the day, they used nets to catch fish. And they would draw in fish with these nets. And, and now, in our generation, we don't use nets like that necessarily. Most of us are more familiar with using a fishing pole when we're talking about catching fish. And his point was, just because the methods have changed doesn't mean that it's any less significant. Like they did it better than we did. No. The point of the matter is, the mission is being accomplished. The purpose is being fulfilled. The gospel is preached. Doesn't matter how. As long as it's not unbiblical, as long as things are done decently and in order, it doesn't matter. The message is being done. And he drew a real good parallel of the generational gaps that we find that cause the conflict, especially in churches. So um, I loved how he did that because kinda, it just kind of hurt a little bit. For both sides of that fence, we have to be willing to understand there's different methods that work. So I appreciated that. Now, he did not have time to hit on this last point, which was the mission. And so what I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to talk to you about uh, the mission, how we are all called to live a life in mission. So that's, that's the, the framework of where I'm going to be going. I had you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, that's going to be the text that I'm going to be reading from. And so I would like to pray and ask and invite the, the Holy Spirit to teach us this, this evening and have him uh, help us to apply the things that we learn uh, tonight. So let's pray. God, I ask that you will teach us. Um, we ask with absolute humility of heart that you will help us to understand things from this passage that perhaps we've never understood. I ask most of all, Lord, that you will use tonight to engage us in the mission. Help us to be people, individual people involved in fulfilling the calling that you've called us to, which is sharing the gospel, living a life with mission in mind. And then I pray that you will help us as a church to come together and become that body of Christ that's in motion. And I ask, Lord, that you will bless that. Make this happen, Lord, through tonight. Um, and I pray you will be with our pastor as he's away, as he's traveling. Lord, I pray you keep him safe as we just prayed earlier. I ask, God, that you will just watch over his father. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right, so uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, before I get into the text, I want to kind of draw an interesting parallel. A lot of you all know that I am a father, and I'm, a, I'm very glad to be a father. I have three children. Um, one of those children it happens to be a boy, and I love the fact that I have a little man, you know, in the home. And uh, last, was it last week, my wife was telling me about a story of Ron uh, was kind of encouraging him to kind of be a man and eat his own ice cream, you know. I mean, he was wearing a vest. He said, real men wear a vest and they eat ice cream, you know. He's just kind of, he's very timid and he's kind of shy. But one of the things I love about my son is he always, he wants to be like me, you know. I mean, I mean, he's, he's handsome like his daddy, you know, he's, he's developing into more handsomeness like his daddy, and I love that, but the one thing I, I love the most is I love seeing him want to do what daddy does. Like, he has this little tool set in his, in his bedroom. It's the cutest thing ever, and he, he walks around, and when, I, when I'm doing stuff around the house, and I'm helping my wife do projects, which, by the way, I haven't forgot, I need to hang that fan. I know I got to hang that fan still. I, I will work on that. It's been on my plate to do. How many of you guys have... Um, husband to-do list. Anybody have those? They never cease, do they? How many of you guys have been married more than 30 years? Raise your hand. Does the list ever go away? No. I didn't think so. Okay, well, there's always projects, but so one of the things is um, well, I love seeing him get his little tool set out. He wants to help me, and it's just the neatest thing. Well, this past summer, you know, I mow the grass at our house, and we, we came across something at Target probably, and uh, there's this little mower set that every, it's a little kid mower, and it blows out bubbles on the side. Instead of cut grass, it blows bubbles out. And so every time I mow the grass in the summer, he wanted to help me. He was helping me mow the grass, you know. And so he pulls out his little cute little mower, and he's following. I have a picture of this. Let's see if you can show I don't know if you guys can see it, um, but he's uh, here I am pushing my mower, and, and there's a little landed behind me. looks like a little runt. Uh, it was a little mower. It's just the cutest thing ever. And uh, I, I, same time that picture was taken, um, next door to us, there was a, about a nine-year-old boy um, who, uh, I, after talking to him, he'd come over every now and then on his bicycle, and he'd come and, and talk to us. Always want to always talk to me when I was outside with Landon or whatever. And uh, he, he, one time I got in a conversation with him, and I said, so tell me about your, your family. Tell me about your, your life. And his name was Percy. And he's telling me, he says, you know, I, I haven't seen my dad in a while. He's, he's been in jail. Um, he's been in prison. But I'm named after my dad. And when he said that, I could tell in his voice that he wanted, he wanted to be like his dad. He wanted to have a father figure in his life. And then here I'm thinking about my relationship with my son. And I, it struck me that I, I, got, I get so comfortable in my own Christian uh, bubble or my own Christian utopia. And I work hard as a father to try to create a good Christian atmosphere for my family. But I think if I, if I, I honestly, I, I take it too far sometimes. And I, I don't have that, that sensitivity to other people that they don't have a life like I have. They don't have Jesus in their life that's holding their life together atom by atom. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Jesus is holding us together, but, but they don't have that experience in their life, and they're full of brokenness. And this boy, you could hear in his voice, he, he was just burdened, his burden hearted. And I started thinking, all of us have people in our lives like that, don't we? We all have people in our lives that are broken or that we work with that are, have heavy hearts and their lives are filled with relational chaos or their husband and their wife are just not getting along and, and there's, there's problems and they're, they just are broken. And I started thinking about this and, and it's a problem that we all have, isn't it? We have people at school or work or, or maybe you, the lady at the grocery store on Monday nights when you check out at Kroger, you can tell in her eyes that there's something in her heart that's weighing her down. We have these encounters, but I wonder, do we really do anything about it? Do we have a heart to, to share anything with them or what do you say? And we, we get stunned, don't we? 
I mean, we don't, we don't know what to say. We don't know, yeah, I, I, I'll pray for you. That's the quick thing to say, because you don't want to be rude. You just, you just say, I'll pray for you, and, I'm gonna pray. I'm, and you mean it. You go home, and you pray for the person. But I started thinking, is that really what it means to live a life of mission? Because I, th- I think you can relate to me. I really believe that as a church, you understand where I'm coming from, that we get, so e- we get so comfortable living in our own Christian utopias. And tonight I want to show you from our text how, how God answers, he provides an answer for us to kind of get re-engaged into a life of mission. How we can start living a life of purpose and fulfilling our destiny as individual Christians and then even better as a corporate church when we come together as a church in motion living in mission does that make sense so I want to take you to this text intentionally and I want to walk you through it second Corinthians chapter 4 begin reading in verse number 1 and let's let's read what Paul wrote to this church He, he said this therefore Seeing we have this ministry, speaking of the ministry of reconciliation, all right, the gospel, all right, it says, as we have received mercy, we faint not, we don't give up, but we have, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience and the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. To whom the God, lowercase g, of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who, by the way, is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. How many of you guys, you kind of get excited when you read things that Paul wrote? Because he has all these, you know, prepositional phrases on top of prepositional phrases. I'm thinking, man, when's the sentence going to end? But that's a really long sentence. I mean, he just quoted a lot of stuff there. And it's all full of just glorious truths. And it's all having to do with living a life of mission. So I want to walk you through this. Um, First thing I want to point out to you is found in verses 3 and 4. Let's talk about this, how God um, shows us how we can can re-engage our lives in the mission. Verse 3 says this. He begins this text, and he says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, Um, in whom the God of this world, and I'm emphasizing the lowercase g because I want you to understand, I think you get this, that he may be a God, but it's, a, it's, it's not a, a God like a sovereign God. He, he has authority. He has power, obviously, to rule and to even reign in some cases. But the ultimate thing, God is more powerful than Satan. You understand? You can't put the two on the same playing field. And I think sometimes we give credit to Satan that is not true. He just, you know, Satan's not always everywhere present. So he's not in your life and in the government of Israel at the same time. Does that make sense? But yet we attribute his power to a lot of things in life. And I think it's important you understand, he's just a lowercase g. Don't give him more authority than he actually has, all right? So let's, let's set the record straight. He's making it very clear. He is, he does have power in this world, but notice he says this, the power to blind the minds of them that do not believe. Now, um, I want to be very crystal clear to you tonight about what the gospel really is. Or I should say, he mentions this light, all right? Let's go back and he says, um, has blinded the minds, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ be, be shown. And I think it's, you need to understand, the light, and I got this all mixed up for a long time, the light that he's talking about is the gospel. 
It's not your good deeds. It's not, you know, your, you know, your, your personality or, or, or you know, it's, it's the gospel. Jesus equals light. So they need light. But the problem is they're blind. He's blinded the minds of these people. And I think we can, we can, uh, we can kind of wiggle our way out of it by saying this, you know, let's, the world is full of blindness because of the entertainment. I mean, how many times us Christians blame entertainment for the problem of the world not seeing Jesus or your coworker not seeing Jesus or the people you go to school? Oh, it's the entertainment. It's the things that's on TV. Can I be honest with you? I don't buy that. That is not the paramount reason why the world is blind. I think the majority of the weight needs to fall back into our lap. Do you know why I say that? Because who has the gospel? Who has the light? Who knows what the light really is? We do. The church, the Christians, we as a church know what the light is. So I would say it falls more on us. If they're blind, it's because they don't see the light. They're not seeing it. And by the way, in the passage he says, in, later on in the text, he actually says how the light shined. The Bible says in God, he reminds, he reminds us back in the creation of time, or creation, he says, and God says, let there be light. He commanded the light to shine and it shined. That's what, in other words, he's saying, he created light out of nothing. He is going to use your light in their life, and you don't, it's just a matter of his working. It's going to happen naturally. But the problem is, we're not willing to, I think we struggle with living this Christian utopia that we're not honestly shining or sharing the gospel with people. So, with that in mind, I want to lead, lead on into this thought. I wanted to, we're saying that I don't think it's necessarily the, the entertainment's fault. When I speak about sharing the gospel, church, I want to be very, very clear what I mean. I think we fall in danger um, of, of thinking like this. When you, when you hear me say, church, we need to do more faithfulness on sharing the gospel. We need to focus on doing that. We need to be a church of mission, so we got to share. Share the truth. I do not mean by that that you need to go walk around with your gospel tracks. Hear me out. I do not mean that you need to walk around your gospel tracks and simply share your ABCs of salvation with pithy little cliches and have no context to what's going on in their life. Let me say this. Let me explain what I'm saying by that. I, I do, I'm an advocate of saying that the gospel needs to be clearly understood. So simplifying the gospel is good. But I think we can lean so much on the ABCs of salvation and we just excuse my language, we regurgitate the gospel with no context to how it makes sense to their life. In other words, when you're standing in line at the grocery store and you notice that the clerk at Kroger that's checking you out is struggling and you see it in her eyes, what I mean by sharing the gospel with her is this. Hey, you look like something's going on in your heart. What's what's on your mind? Do you mind telling me what's going on? I know you don't know me from anybody, but what's going on? And she begins to tell you what's going on in her life. My life is a train wreck right now. This is the honest truth. My life's a train wreck. My husband and I are divorced. I've got the kids. I've got two kids. They're staying at home with my mom. We're living at home with my mom. And my husband's being a, a complete jerk to me. He doesn't care for me. He doesn't care for my kids. He's ruined our family. And I'm broken. I don't know what to do. You know what you should say in that time? Don't you whip out your ABCs and say, well, let me recurgitate the gospel to you, blah, 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 blah. No, this is what you do. This is what Jesus did. He applied the fact that Jesus is good news to her situation. You know, there's a lady in my church that I'm, I know, that went through the same thing that you went through. And you know what she told me? She told me that Jesus was the only way, that only person that could help her. And, and now I see her at church, and she's, she's different. She's totally, Jesus really has changed her life. And I honestly believe, I, I know you don't even know who I am, but I honestly believe that Jesus can help you the same way that he helped her. Would you like to know what that's like? 
Boom! That's the gospel. That's good news in her life in a real application way. And you didn't regurgitate anything. You simply shared the truth with this woman. She's broken and you had her remedy. A.K.A. Jesus. A.K.A. Light. Does that make sense? So when I talk about sharing the gospel, church, I'm asking you, help us. We need to re-engage in living a life of mission where we understand what we believe. When we're able to share what we believe with other people, what you've experienced in your life with Christ needs to be shared with other people. And that's, by the way, that's an individual thing. That's what we do on our own throughout the week. And 90%, hear me church, here, 90% of our mission, of our living in mission needs to happen during the week. It needs to happen when we're not in church we need to go to places, go to your work, and you, you'll see people that's hurting. You see them every day, and whether it's the coffee shop or you go to or whatever. All I'm asking you to do is do what, what Paul is telling us to do is help shine light in their darkness because you're the light. You've got the remedy. We have the remedy. That's, what, that's the power of the gospel. And by the way, it will change their life. He will change their life. All right, I want to say something else about this passage that stood out to me. And I think now I'm going to talk. So that was the individual. That's what we do during the week. But now I want to show you what it looks like if we live in mission as a church. What will it look like as a church? How will it actually unfold itself when we live in mission together? And there's a key component here found in verse 5. I'm going to read this to you. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. Ourselves and ourselves we preach your servants. In other words, we're preaching to you that we are your servants for Jesus' sake. All right, now let me explain that to you. That last phrase, he used the word servant here. And I, the reason why I want to emphasize that to you is that word servant, you've heard me say this before, is that same word that means bond slave. He's saying here, I, the apostle, am a slave to you. I'm a slave to you for Jesus' sake so that the gospel could be shared in your city. I want to be your slave so that other people in your community can know that Jesus is real. He's the light that they need. He's the one that can change life. How in the world does that make sense? How can us being slaves, bond slaves, that means a willing slave. No one's forcing you. This isn't forced labor here. You're willingly saying, I get it. I get it, Jesus. I'm going to be a slave to my brothers and sisters in the church context so that other people can see that Jesus is truly the light that they need. All right. How does that make sense to us? Why? Why will us living that kind of a life of, of servanthood towards each other create that kind of a gospel light? And I started thinking about, let me, let me say, those of you who've been saved for, for a long time, let me spend some time leaning into you a little bit, all right? And, and I want to say everything I want to say in, in genuine love, and I want you to listen to this, all right? I am now stepping into a ministry of college-age students. And it's, it's fun. It's a, great, it's a great opportunity. But you know what I noticed? I noticed a lot of churches in our city try so hard to, to reach out to these college students by being cool and relevant and hip and looking cool and all this cool stuff. And you know what I realized? These, these students, these college students, they don't need a hip, cool, you know, relevant church necessarily. What they need to see is a biblical church. What they need to see is literal servants in the church context talking to each other with authentic love for one another, saying, no, 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 you know how cool it would be? You know know why in the Eastern culture they always bow? Do you know why they do that to each other? As a greeting in American, we just, 
Nowadays, it's fist pump, you know? <laughs> but, you know, and the reason why they do this, in other words, saying, I'm your servant, I'm your servant. That's what that literally is conveying to them. So some, in American society, we, we kind of, we don't think like that, do we? And, and I'm, I'm proud to be an American. Don't get me wrong. I am proud to be an American. But the truth of the matter is, America's got us all messed up when it comes to this ideology. Because the Bible way is not climb the corporate ladder and let other people bow down to you. Jesus' way is, no, 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 let me humble myself for you and lift you up so that you can see how glorious God is. That's the gospel. And so when we live like that in the church, the college students or the lost people in our city, the broken people that you invite to church, when you invite them to the church, they're going to see that. They're going to feel the ambiance in this room of genuine servanthood. You say, well, what does that mean? Let me say this. I believe with all my heart the number one trademark of authentic spiritual leadership is humility. It really is. It's humility. So those of you who are, who've been saved for a long time, the ball is all up in your court right now. You understand what I'm saying? You've been a Christian for a long time, saved. Maybe you were raised in church. You're a kid, and now you're maybe 20, 30 years old. The ball is in your court because you are without excuse. The Bible says this, to whom much is given, much should be required. You know the verse. So my point is this, if you know, you understand what a spiritual leader is, you are without excuse of living this way towards each other. I don't care what generation you grew up in. It doesn't matter. Jesus didn't say anything about generations in the the church. The church should be multicultural. It should be multi-generational. And all has to do with loving each other and humbling each other. That's what it's about. Because Jesus is more clearly seen. You see, I said it was a trademark of spiritual leadership. Let me explain. If you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, keep your spot here. I'm not done yet. But if you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, I'll show you this. Jesus said this. Um, we need to have, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in likeness of men. He humbled himself. It says, and it says this, and he, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Whoa, that is what you call a spiritual leader. Notice the words here. He said he became like a servant. We know what that word servant is. It's the same word that Paul used in our text. He's saying he became a slave, a bond slave, so that you and I could actually understand what leadership really is all about. It's about love. It's about loving each other in this church. And now, I, I'm saying this to a church that has generations. And that, in my opinion, is one of the greatest strengths of Fellowship Baptist Church. But it's also one of the greatest weaknesses that we have. Because oftentimes, we as pastors hear the murmurings that happens between the generations. Well, I don't like it done this way. Well, I don't like it done your way. And you've got these, this generation, and both are, are, are wrong. Both are wrong because the right attitude towards each other are, should be, you know what? The most important thing is the gospel's being heard. The most important thing are people being saved and baptized. It doesn't matter what kind of net you're throwing. As long as they're fishing the net, that's all that matters. That's what, he's, that's what, that's what we're talking about here. So, I mean, and I want to say this. We have to understand the importance of humbling our own lives in order to make this happen, so that we could actually become a true lighthouse in the church house, so that the whole city can know that Jesus is real. 
He really is the, he is the, he's the remedy they're looking for. All right, now I'm, I'm going to continue with this, this thought, and I'm going to actually lead to my conclusion, my conclusion here. I want to think back to my son. Um, I showed you the picture earlier of my son in the, in the garden, or in the, in the yard. And I, I started thinking how it relates to him. It, when my son gets older, he's going to actually start mowing the grass. And I want him to. He needs to kind of help start helping around the house a little bit more so that I can eventually hang that fan for my wife um, when he gets to be 19. All right, so... Um, so anyway, I, I want to encourage him to be that, do, to live that kind of life and do what's, what's responsible of him to do. But at the same time, when he starts to do things as a young man, I'm not going to be ripping him apart if he doesn't mow the grass with the same methodology that I used. In other words, I have a system. I, I cut the grass this way one week, this way the next week, this way the next week. I, I have a, a rotation I use. How many of you guys are like that? You're kind of, yeah, you're pedantic, all right? You want to do it your certain way. Well, I'm not going to yell at my son if he doesn't do it the same way I, as long as it's decently and in order. The mission's being accomplished. That's all that matters. And so I'm going to encourage him. Hey, you're doing a good job, son. I want you to do that. In other words, what I'm saying is I'm going to have to humble myself. Be like Christ. I want him to know that he is more important to me than a stinking grass blade. So be that what it may be. So I'm going to, it doesn't matter uh, what what kind of genre we may listen to uh, as Christians. The only thing that matters is that the mission is being fulfilled. Um, so, church, I want to challenge you tonight with a simple thought, all right? There's two things I want to motivate you, two things I want you to apply from this text that we read, okay? First, I want you to, to, to tonight to go home, and I want you to process with me on ways that you as an individual, we as a church, can start humbling ourselves towards one another in the church setting. Because I want us as a church to experience what Paul described as a glorious lighthouse. I want us to literally experience the power of the gospel just radiating from within our church because they see Jesus all up in this building. Does that make sense? That's the church house on Sunday morning. But now I want to talk to you about your individual life. So on Sunday, tonight, I want you to think about how you can figure out ways you can humble yourself. Some of you guys, it's coming now. The Holy Spirit's thinking of ways right now, convicting your heart of things that you should do right now to say, I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to help someone do this. I'm going to carry my, put my arm around them, and I'm going to make this person an apprentice with me. I'm going to, we're going to carry this load together. You know, the older elder, you know, by the way, you know what an elder is in the scripture? I'll say this, and I'll move on. An elder is not based on your age. An elder is based on your spiritual development. So it doesn't, if you have gray hair and you're an anemic Christian, don't think for one second that you're considered to be a spiritual elder. You're not. And by the way, if you're a new Christian, you ought to be looking up to people that are true, authentic followers of Christ and not sitting on your lazy bum doing nothing. All right? We got a, we got a mission to fulfill. All right, so with that in mind, um, let me talk about the individual task. Um, I want to challenge you as individuals to, th- to actually be aware of people all around you when you're going to work, when you're going shopping, grocery shopping, when you're going to the gas station. I want you to be sensitive to the people around you and I'm very oblivious. I'm the guiltiest party of this. I will just get, I'm, I'm a guy with, with, you know, talk about mission. I want to get this thing, get out of there. I don't want to talk to anybody. I want to get it done, you know. But I, I want to slow down and I want to look around and see if there's people around me that need help, that need, that need encouragement, that need to be pointed to Jesus. And the number one way you can point people to Jesus is to make a friendship with them. Make friends with these people that are hurting. And you'll point them to Christ. So I'm going to close with this last thought in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. Uh, passage says this do all things without murmuring or disputing so we can shine as lights in the world all right and over that to happen let's talk about it 
If you hear other people in this church, now from here on out, this is what I want you to do. This is the action plan in particular here. Next time you hear someone murmur in this church, I don't care how old or how young they are. Murmuring means talking negative. If you hear one of, one of us church members, because we're all human, we struggle with this all the time, all right? And I'm guilty. You hear me murmur, I want you to stop me, all right? Here, let me explain. If, any, if we ever hear each other talking negative about one another or about something that's going on in the church, or if you hear disputings, which is questioning the leadership of this, of the, in other words, their passion for souls. If this church leadership is being questioned whether or not they actually want to see people saved, you know that's not true, all right? That's obviously not the case. So whenever you hear murmurings or disputings, I want you to stop that person in their tracks, whether it's me or anybody. Stop them in the tracks and compel them to repent of that behavior. You have a responsibility as a brother or sister in Christ to stop it. We have got to stop it so that we can actually spread the gospel. And now, when you compel that person to repent, you don't beat them up with it. Just be lovingly stern with them for the sake of our city, hearing and seeing the gospel in our church. You know, I'm gonna, I, I started, had a conversation with Tyler yesterday when we were actually doing the, the flower beds and, and doing all the mulching and everything on Sunday or uh, Saturday, yesterday. And I told him, and he said something kind of surprising to me, that, not surprising that I didn't think it was true, but he was right in the same heartbeat I had. I told him, I said, I, I, I so badly want our church to experience a genuine explosion, like massive impact in Columbus, Ohio. I so badly want that. I, can't, I so badly want I can taste it. But the only way that's going to happen is if you and I start living lives of mission, individually and corporately. So we've got, if you want this, and I, you know, I long to see, and I believe it's just around the corner. I believe it's just around the corner for us to see two worship services on a Sunday morning. I believe that. I believe we'll have so many people coming to church if we can live like this. Have people coming in the doors, can't wait to come to church. Why? Because you've invited them to come and experience light like they so desperately need. And then you know what's going to happen? Eventually, there won't be enough people to fit in this church. Eventually, we're going to have to start a church on the other side of Columbus, Ohio called Fellowship Baptist Church, East Side. I don't, I don't know. We'll, think of, we'll come over East Coast. That doesn't matter. That's my gangbanging days coming back. Anyway, so I just, I, I, so, I want us as a church, I want us to crave this. I want us to see people come to know Christ by the, by the enormous amount of, by the enormous amount of numbers. And by the way, if someone says, well, it's not about the numbers. Yeah, well, it is about the numbers. Because every one of those numbers represents souls. represent people. And you know what? That's the only method, by the way, one of the greatest methods we have is our bus ministry. But it's not the only method we use to get people saved. Another catalyst is our Christmas drama. Another catalyst is you at work or at school. Wherever you're at, you are a catalyst. We have to humble ourselves to make that happen. So I said that. I want to ask you to, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and pray with me, asking God to help apply this to our hearts so we can live like this. Live lives of mission. And uh, I just want to encourage you. I, I don't want this to be um, a message that you just quickly forget. I, I want us to be fishers of men that Pastor Tony was talking about. And I want to know how to do it. Like, like Paul was describing to the church, 